I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Modern League podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Lavin. How are you guys doing? Good. Pretty good. All right. So we'll start with Promote Extend Trade, and this one is going to be going back a few years. On this date in 480 AD, Otto Acer, he assumed power in the uh, Western Roman Empire. He was a Germanic barbarian mercenary. He worked his way up the uh, Roman army ranks. And then when the German mercenaries in Italy started to rebel, uh, he led them and he eventually seized control of Italy. And obviously uh, him deposing Romulus Augustus, who was the last traditional Roman emperor, had a uh, pretty profound impact on history and was one of the major reasons why the Roman Empire in the West fell. So, in honor of those Germanic mercenaries, uh, who are we going to promote, extend, or trade of these German minor leaguers? First, there's Kai Gronauer, and he was born in Salingen, Germany, and he's actually, like, fully German. He grew up there and everything, and then signed the contract with the Mets. Next is Toby Stoner, who was born at Landstuhl, which is a, uh, which is an, a, a regional medical center. Um, which, excuse me, which has a regional medical center for the U.S. military. And then obviously he uh, 
came back to the U.S. with his parents and grew up here. And finally, we have Aaron out there, who also was born at the same place and similarly came back to the U.S. and grew up here. But they're all technically German-American, still Aaron out there. I'm not sure if Gronauer has an American citizenship or not, since he is an actual German national. So, uh, we're training Altair, right? I mean, Kai Gronauer really is the best one of all of them, technically. Uh, well, here, without looking, when was Aaron Altair's weighted runs created plus last season? Without looking. 30? 31? Try again. Steve! <laughs> Price is right rules in you're not. You're not even close. Try again. 18, 18. You're still not even close. Negative 20. Negative 23. Wow. <laughs> he batted 082, 136, 164. Four and a half walk rate, 37.9 strikeout rate. In his defense, though, he is the only one of these three guys that actually had a career major league substance. career of any substance. Yeah. He posted enough, negative though. one war in 66 plate appearances. <laughs> Oddly enough, Toby Stoner has the highest B-war out of all three of these guys at 0.1 in 11.1. Can we just trade all of them? <laughs> I think I'm going to extend Altair, promote Stoner, and trade Gronauer. Huh. I'm Solely gonna, because Altair, but yeah, that that's a toss-up. One was I'm going to fire all three into the sun and eat some sauerkraut with a sausage instead. Sure. That is a pretty that's good cool. one. <laughs> oh. See, I could have done something like that. I was trying to keep it baseball-based, but we could have gone with German delicacies. Ger- German, uh, yeah, that could have been a good one. I wanted to ask you to do a Halo-related one, because for those of you who are Halo fans, Reach came out uh, uh, this week. Uh but but I figured that would not hit a huge subset of our audience. The thing is, even though I am a emoji B boomer, I have never actually played Halo before. What is... Uh, you're missing out. Uh. Anyway, anyway. I, I have no strong opinions about any of these players. I, I, I feel compelled to try it out there just because he is not a Met, whereas Garnauer and Stoner at least came up through the system. Mm-hmm. And in that case, then, I guess I'm going to be extending Stoner because he did have X amount of professional innings. It's real unfortunate he never he didn't get to 4.2 war, honestly. <laughs> or 4.2 anything. Yeah. Or 6.9 anything. 4.2 OERA, he would be, uh, be pretty nice. It would be. But unfortunately, we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah, I guess that's a segue. But not really, because it's not like anything the Mets gave up was good. But we're going to start off the week with a little bit of news. And at this point, it's old news, but it's in our wheelhouse here. So we're going to just go over it a little bit. And last week, the Mets traded a pair of minor leaguers, Blake Taylor and Kennedy Corona, for Jake Marisnik. And coincidentally, we talked a little about Corona last week in our uh, DSL, GCL kind of um, unheralded guys episode. Um, So I just want to get you guys' opinions of this move because I'm not a fan of it. 
Not because I think Blake Taylor is going to be anything particularly special. Not because I think Corona is going to be anything particularly special, but just I, it's just such a bad process move. I I think that sums it up pretty. Yeah. I actually just wrote an article about it today. Um, Functionally, what's the difference between what Jake Marisnik can provide versus what Kevin Pillar could have provided without giving up the like talent? Exactly. Nice. And my my whole my whole argument was like, look. Pilar was in arbitration. He was due ten million, mm-hmm. and uh, overarching labor issues aside, some guys do deserve to be non-tendered. Kevin Pilar should not be making ten million dollars. He's not that good. Mm-hmm. He was going to get like five to seven million dollars, probably in AAV, right? So, uh, functionally, a- and there's an argument that Pilar is more leverageable than Marisnik, right? Because mm-hmm. Marisnik is a, a better defender, probably. Uh, and and could steal some bases. His platoon splits are almost non-existent, and he's actually just as bad against lefties as Conforto and Nimmo. Whereas PR actually, ha- Pilar, P- whatever, I don't actually know, uh, <laughs> has significant platoon splits and is a decent hitter against lefties. That's a leverageable skill. Marisnik mm-hmm. doesn't have that. That skill is worth, say the three to four million dollar gap between their respective you, you could you could you could absolutely <laughs> I, I don't know that that's necessarily true like you could argue well Mersnick's a better defender and he brings an element of speed but it, right but they're, they're essentially going to give you the same net package which mm-hmm. means you've instead of paying two to four million dollars extra because Mersnick's going to make three million or so you traded Taylor and Corona now I don't really give a shit about Kennedy Corona, but Blake Taylor was one of the uh, more interesting prospects to me this this year. Not in the sense that he's like a top hundred dude or whatever, but in the sense that look, we converted this guy to relief. Suddenly he's he's dominating as a multi inning reliever. A guy, a lefty who can get righties out too. So you have someone that's both useful for the new three batter minimum and someone who fits the mold of the new multi-inning relief archetype that's been popular over the last uh, couple seasons that the Mets haven't really had yet. And you say, you know, we're going to trade him away for basically $3 million. Wait, what the hell? Yeah, Yeah, not not to mention that they literally just moved him to the pen, didn't they? Yeah, yeah this they season. moved the season, good. and he was good. He was really good, and <laughs> like he you're was really, really good the experience, experiment and the early returns are promising. <laughs> I don't know; it doesn't make any goddamn sense to look, me. Look, like <laughs> let's be real. We're we're homer prospect guys. We're gonna get it. I I know I get over attached to interesting relief guys. God, Stephen Blinds, <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> um. But, like, I was really interested by Taylor. I think I had him in, like, the low teens on my list, maybe mid-teens. Higher than I should, but he's interesting. And the, it's, and the Mets definitely did need a fourth outfield type. You know what they also need? Bullpen help. Mm-hmm. And, like, three other things. But, yes, bullpen help. <laughs> and, like, the dude's a spin rate darling. He was a top... He was a top prep draft pick for a reason. He's got relief-capable stuff. And I know we said the same thing last year when, when we traded J.D. Davis, but, like, I'm not super comfortable trading with the Astros. I don't think yeah. the Mets are smarter than the Astros. They probably <laughs> looked at Taylor and said, hmm, that's a ni- some nice spin rate there. 
we'll take that and watch him be like their replacement for Will Harris this year. Yeah, who do you think is going to provide more value in the major leagues next season, Taylor or Marisnik? I mean, Marisnik probably, Marisnik. but yeah. also we're we're talking about small potatoes. Also, like, like you're straight replacing up value Lagares is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> straight up, straight <laughs> so up value isn't the right way to evaluate a reliever. Yeah, because there's all sorts of leverage things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I see, you know, I see Jake Marisnik's going to play a lot, I'm pretty sure, and he really shouldn't. At this I mean, the Mets, the Mets always misuse that profile. I'm not even talking about that <laughs> issue because that's true with whatever fourth outfielder they acquire, yeah, they're going to misuse him, right? Very true. Like, Marisnik's a guy you should never want to be hitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and before people start saying, well, yeah, you guys said the J.D. Davis trade was bad too, and then you were wrong, and like, to be fair, we were. The Mets did were right. He had untapped potential. They got the they removed the loops from his swing. Brother, I have removed the <laughs> loops. And suddenly he was hitting bombs. It's like, okay, we were wrong. That's fair. Jake Marisnik is not an unheralded pro or a former top prospect with two hundred plate appearances. He has five full seasons in the majors. Yeah. This isn't like a lottery pick. We know what it's it's not the same thing. Like <laughs> he has a lengthy big league track record. That's a few thousand plate appearances long now. Let me look that up and continue. And not particularly Yes, good. almost 2,000 plate appearances. 18,000, yeah. 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 Oh, excuse me, 18,000, 1,800. That 18,000 would be a lot of plate appearances. <laughs> he has a career 29.8% strikeout rate. Yeah. Like, listen, Jake Marisnik fits this team well. He's a nice little player. Good fourth outfielder. That's not, that's not our problem with this. The problem is that you can get this on the free agent market for only a little bit more and hold on to your interesting exactly. relief guy and your old DSL guy who, despite the fact that he's probably not good and has like a funky batting stance or whatever the hell else, raped. Like, that's not worth much, but it's worth something. It's the bigger problem, I think, is just that it gives us a window into how the Mets operate. And that's the scary part. It's not the players. It's not the a player acquired. It's not the player that players that were sent away. It's just seeing how they do things. You you know the other thing. Yeah, there's like, there's like a short term thinking here that mm-hmm. annoys me every time that they do. I it. mean, talk about short term. This is his last year of arbitration eligibility, and get next year, it's like, hmm, we don't have a fourth outfielder again. Guess we better trade that relief depth we have, and then in four years, you're like, oh wait, that's where our all our relief depth went. Mm-hmm. Because we just didn't spend like this. This is like, uh, uh, and not that I'm saying this trade was bad. This was like trading John, uh, John Gant and whoever else they traded for, for Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe, which at the time was fine. Cause they didn't think they'd contend that year and they didn't flesh out the bench, whatever. But when you are a going into a season as a contender, you should just spend the money to get that piece at the start and not just, and not throw away relievers. Yeah, it's it's a thing that the Mets have done the last couple of years. They're just too willing to give up pieces to acquire players. Sometimes it's worked out, sometimes it hasn't, but just unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. This kind of profile of a player, you can find them on the scrap heap free agent market. Yep. As we're going to talk about in a little bit, there are players that you know fit this profile that are eligible to be drafted in the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, there it's Jake Marisnik. There are ways to get fourth outfielders that don't require giving up assets 
like here's the thing, right? In year in year zero, you trade two mid tier prospects, or or in year zero, you trade two mid tier prospects for uh, a hole on your roster. If you do the same thing every year, these mid tier prospects that through random chance would eventually fill a couple of these marginal roster holes, you you're just perpetuating the same problem, right? Because in, in an ideal system, you're going to develop a fourth outfield inter, outfielder internally, and or you're going to develop middle relievers internally. And the Mets, A, are bad at developing them in the first place, and B, keep trading away these guys because they won't just spend two or three million dollars to bring them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I normally don't have a problem with trading prospects, but like for bench players that you can get elsewhere, mm-hmm. like not great, Bob. I don't have a problem with it mid-season. If you try yeah, to, oh, no, things. Like, you know, the fact is they're they're planning now for the season, right? <laughs> like that's like, the look, type of you, thing you should do to fill a hole, not with the yes. knowledge that you're going into the season with a hole. You know, right. like look, if you sign John Mayberry Jr. in the offseason to fill a bench role, and he just doesn't hit. Then you then you trade a mid tier prospect to get someone else who is hitting to get it's an like, upgrade. Oh. Yep. Right. It's like fine. This is a plan B or a plan C move. Right. And instead, it's their plan A. Is because the they won't just yeah. pony up the money. Now I will say maybe maybe like we're totally misreading Pilar's market or something or but I seriously doubt it. I mean, is he functionally that different from like Buddy Reed, who's another guy of this profile they could get? Like Buddy Reed probably couldn't hit, can't hit, but. The bar isn't high here. No. I mean, the biggest thing... Is he that different from Juan Lagares at this point? No, who can probably who will probably be brought in somewhere on an NRI. Yes. How bad the was only, the last only year? thing Juan that I've heard is pretty bad, but that's okay. <laughs> the only big difference that I've heard regarding like Kevin Pilar and now Maris Nick is that Pilar is gonna get a contract somewhere and he's gonna be playing more or less full time. That his numbers and defense and everything, the total package, justify that. They uh, don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know, but that's that's really the only defense of this that I've heard. I could see an argument that Pilar will have offers from bad teams that will play him full time. Go get a different fourth outfielder. Is he that different from Jared Dyson on a one-year, two million dollar deal or something? Nope. I think Dyson was actually pretty good last year, wasn't He's he? He's had think... like three war years recently. <laughs> like, yeah. like Dyson is better he's... than people realize. I think. No, he I, was I, bad last year. Yeah, he was bad last year, but he's still an excellent defender, and he's roughly, roughly, roughly <laughs> as bad as Jake Marisnik batting. He's he's in that class of guys who have one elite skill and not all that much more. He's a better runner than Marisnik. He does bat lefty, which is, like, annoying, but whatever, dude. And it's not like Marisnik is a... And know, he hits lefty. He had a, a, yeah. Uh, it was only 46 plate appearances, but he, he did hit lefties <laughs> relatively well last year. It's this is an extremely to, uh, fungible yeah. profile. Like... No, yeah, semi-useful player, like, and more or less the same thing. It's just, a, like, in the grand scheme of things, Corona probably will never see the majors. Mm-hmm. Blake Taylor probably isn't actually good, right? Like, and, and this trade means nothing in the end. 
real that's the most likely outcome but you are trading away that little bit of probability density that Blake Taylor is actually a good reliever in a system where you lack enough guys who have the potential to be good relievers in an organization where you traded another of these flyers literally last year for the you know useless corpse of Wilmer font <laughs> Well, that, that's the other thing, right? We're saying Corona is nothing, and now Catalina might be... Uh, might be something, who knows, but might be something. <laughs> what did they trade for Broxton last year? Adam Hill, who we were mildly fond of. It was Adam the... Hill and Felix Valerio. Was Adam, Adam Hill the one from South Carolina? Yeah, or maybe. Yeah, he might have so. been. Uh, He's on the Mariners now? Yes, what? he just... He yeah, just, he just got, got traded. Trade. For what? Other minor league dudes. Okay. But he wasn't particularly good last year, but whatever. Was okay. There was one other guy, and there was also the rel- a reliever that hurt uh, him. Bobby so. Wall, who had Bobby TOS, Wall. Yep. and, like, I don't care. Uh, and then an, an elbow, or a knee thing. Yep. Yep. Oh, the they traded him as part of the... That's, how the... that's all they had to give up to get Omar Navarez? <laughs> that's it? The Mets could use Omar Navarez. <laughs> the Brewers got Omar Navarez for Adam Hill, who the Mets traded to them for Keon Broxton and then was bad in single A for a year, and a 2020 competitive balance pick. Well, like, the Mets don't make good trades. <laughs> usually, usually. Am I am I just very wrong about how good Omar Navarez is? He was a really good hitting catcher last year, but it looks like his defense was bad. Omar Navarez, hold on one sec. He's a left-handed hitter. That would that would have been nice. Be nice to have with Ramos. Would basically uh, give us uh, all of Ramos's ability from against both pitcher types, and you know, not a terribly big step down. Okay. Given <laughs> Omar Navarez was one of the worst defensive catchers in baseball last year. Yeah, but yeah, but so was Ramos. Ramos. <laughs> and Omar Navarez costs no money. So you could have traded, instead of trading that piece for Keon Broxton last year, who is the same thing, you could have gotten left-handed Wilson Ramos and not spent $10 million. Yes, and I'm now looking up platoon splits for both of them. And my guess is they're going to be, yeah, Wilson Ramos, 346 average, 423 OBP, 523 slugging. That's 151 WRC plus against lefties. Omar Navarez versus right-handed pitching. 289, 346, 490. That's 123%, or 123 weighted. That's a very good offensive platoon. Your catcher defense is crap, but your catcher offense is incredible. And fuck it, you have his 26 roster spot, carry Thomas Nito as your defensive third catcher. This is the thing, though, right? Like, the opportunity cost of doing these really stupid marginal moves instead of just spending $2 million comes back to bite you eventually. Yep, it all adds up. It's, it's little things, little, little, little bits. And, and the Mets just don't have the... I think it's just like we always hear these stories about how their plan changes on like a week-to-week basis, whether that's due to incompetent management or the fickleness of ownership or both. Ron Howard voiceover. It was, it was incompetent management. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm saying like incompetent GM or just 
bad owner or both. I oh think yeah, pro- probably both. Ron Howard, probably both. both. Like I would trust probably. Sandy a little bit more, but both because they don't have an overarching plan for this kind of stuff. They just keep throwing away useful little little bits of value, and every time you lose a little bit of value, it adds up. Yep. I gave it a C minus because like it's not as big a deal as like it's not like they traded Jimenez for a center fielder or something. Yeah, like it's like process F, but impact like I don't know. <laughs> That's fair, I think. A C minus, it's fair. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a break here. And when we get back, we will um rev- we'll go over the rule five draft and maybe the Mets will be able to uh recoup some of the value that they lost in this trade with one of these guys so we will be right back after this i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. I am Steve Saipa. I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Lavin, and this is from Complex to Queens. And this week, uh, the winter meetings are going to be starting, and that means that the Rule 5 draft is going to be taking place at the end. And for anybody unfamiliar with it, um, basically it was created as a way to stop uh, teams from hoarding and stashing their minor league talent in their farm system. So players that meet certain criteria... Um, basically when they are signed and how many years of experience they have under their belt. They have to be added to the 40-man roster and protected, or anyone else can select them for a nominal fee of just $100,000. And if the player makes it the entire season with their new team, they officially become members of that team and everything's good. If they don't, then they have to be offered back to the original team, although the original team doesn't actually have to take them back. It's kind of cruel and sad but that's that's baseball life i guess mm-hmm. and in the past there have been some pretty amazing successes um roberto clemente is the you know original rule five draft success um there have been a couple of all-stars Johan santana santana josh hamilton dan ugla they're all josh five hamilton was a real five pick i didn't know that actually uh-huh. yep um there have been plenty of like non all star acquisitions that went under the radar and worked out decently enough for the teams. Um, but obviously, for every success, there are there's, there's hundreds of failures. You know, guys that just didn't cut it because they just weren't good enough to roster to Bradley be rostered for an entire year. Yeah. Who was that lefty they got from the Braves? Sean uh, Yes. Yes. <laughs> he was okay he, for a couple. Yes, yeah, that definitely was a under the radar. Sign move that that worked out. He made the roster for the entire team, 
that year for the Mets. He was, he was there for we had him for a couple of years. Yeah, he was good for I think the first year, and then not that great in the second, and yeah. then that was kind yeah. of it. But one year, you know, of of success is is good enough to, I would say, to count as a Rule Five draft success. So anyway, uh, there's a, there's always tons of guys available in the major league part. It would take a long time to literally list every single worthwhile guy, every single interesting, semi-interesting guy that could, you know, theoretically play some kind of role for the team. So instead of just kind of listing things and just droning on about a bunch of guys, the three of us, we picked a couple of guys that we like, and we'll just kind of go over them, why we think that they make sense. Oh, does anybody want to start? I'm I'm okay going first. I got way too deep into this doing my AAOP, so I have a couple guys I I care about deeply now for no no real reason. <laughs> that is one of the worst parts of like doing draft stuff and and prospect stuff is you'll just pick these random guys and you just latch onto and uh huh. Yep, it, it's terrible. All right, uh, so who is your first rule five pick? My my first rule five pick is Brett Cumberland. Uh, so Brett Cumberland was a one of the few pros- real prospects I saw when I was at Cal. Uh, he was the starting catcher. He was a Golden Spike finalist the year I saw him. Uh, switch hitting catcher, lots of power, really nice approach at the plate, took his walks, worked pitchers. Um, but that was, of course, in college. And then the Bra- I wanted the Mets to take him, uh, but the Braves took him in the second round of 2016. Um and he started hitting. He didn't hit in his draft year, but I don't really care. And then the next year, he came back and just started mashing. Uh, the problem, of course, with with him was always that his defense was highly suspect, and it's still pretty suspect. He probably needs to move. He might need to move off the position. Um, in 2018, they traded him to the Orioles, I believe, as part of the Darren O'Day trade. I'm. Uh, I think it was that, or maybe it was the Kevin... No, it was the Kevin Galsman trade, I think. Or were they together? Point is, he wound up on the Orioles, still hitting. Uh, he missed most of 2019 with injury, only got uh, 200 plate appearance, but again, still mashing. Uh, in 157 plate appearances at AA, he hit 248, 395, 408. That's a 144 weighted in whatever league and park that is. Um, so, and according to some scouting reports, at the start of 2018... Uh, the defense had improved, not to the point where it was good, but to the point where it might be playable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Mets have almost no upper minors catching depth. It's Wilson Ramos, whose health is like held together by some scotch tape and glue. Uh, Thomas Nito, who can't hit. And Ali Sanchez, who also probably can hit and has, what, like 200 plate appearances in the high minors or less? Um so Cumberland as like a, a, I don't want to say top prospect. I don't think he was ever a top 100 prospect. Um, but as a catcher who can hit from both sides of the plate, can work a, 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 a pitcher well, can work an at-bat, has power. Um, like it's it's an organizational weakness. There's no cost to just grabbing him out of the Orioles system and seeing if he can stick as a backup in the short term and maybe become a long-term piece if, if and when uh, he sticks around and Ramos leaves. It's a it's a solid profile, and if he can hit a lick, I mean, I mean he can. I think he'll hit in the majors. It's just a matter of is the defense is the defense Wilson Ramos bad, or is it like just worse. average bad? Yeah, right. 
Uh, catching defense is, I don't know, not overrated, but it a little bit is overrated to me. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, I, I, I just liked him because it's such an organizational weakness and because he's someone I've had my eye on for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Orioles left him unprotected. Now, it's probably not a good sign that a team as bad as the Orioles is leaving you unprotected, but... I'm I'm going to go ahead and say that we shouldn't even weigh that, given that they just released their or non-tendered their literal best player. <laughs> also, also, fair. also a fair. Point. Who, who even knows what they're doing at this uh, point? I don't think even they know what they're doing. <laughs> All right, Ken, who do you got? Uh, I'm going to start with um, Cody Sedlock, also from the Orioles. Um, he was a pitcher drafted in 2016. Um, he was a college reliever until he was converted to a full-time starter in his junior year. He was one of those guys who was mostly a college reliever, but had a really good starting season in their draft year. Um, and he's, he's basically been nothing but hurt since he had a strained flexor mass in his elbow that, uh, forced him to miss time in 2017 and then in 2018 he missed a lot of time with a what's what wikipedia is describing to me as effects of thoracic outlet syndrome although apparently he did not need surgery for it hmm. That's still um, concerning still very concerning but yeah. my, my logic here is that he's only been a starter really uh sort of in the the zapucky mold where he's kind of semi-stretched out but never really and his only real starting experience was, you know, as a junior in the Big Ten. So my, I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, he's probably in the same general class, if healthy, as the up and down guys we are currently using. Mm-hmm. And who knows, the stuff might play up a little bit, finally going back to what he's arguably should have been from the beginning, which is a reliever. So you're getting a guy who, you know, we have a few of, but none with any form of upside. Um, so yeah, <laughs> Cody said, um, and if, if he gets hurt, you put him on the DL and you get the player for free anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's, that's the, another that's good point. Good. Actually, that is a strategy. That is a legit strategy. Yep. So I wonder, I meant to ask this at the top of the segment. I wonder if, it's easier to hide a position player now than a pitcher because of the extra roster spot and because the number of pitchers you have is capped. I don't know. I don't know. You could see a lot of like, like you could see a lot more kind of catchers because you always have, you know, your, your main catcher and your backup catcher and teams are always reluctant to use that backup catcher in any way shape or form just in case you know a game goes extra innings you need to swap them out if you're able to now roster another catcher or or another kind of guy that is capable of playing catcher mm. you could start seeing those backup catchers being used in more situations so you could see a guy like you selected lucas where you know he, he's more valuable now because of that extra roster spot and that ability to play catcher. Mm-hmm. But I feel like historically it's been like, hey, we can sacrifice a bench player and then just have a pitcher we never pitch. And then over yeah, time that's... it's turned into, okay, now we need eight people in our bullpen and we can't hide anyone anymore. 
and now they've added an extra roster spot, but it can't be used on a pitcher. I don't know. It, it's I'm I'm very intrigued to see what the dynamics are. But like Ken said, take a pitcher who's going to get hurt and just put him on the DL. Problem solved. So there's yeah, like a little bit of soft. upside and also functionally no downside. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's the thing with most of these players is that there is no real downside to to you you roll the dice and if it doesn't work out, you know, oh well. What does work been, out? Uh, then, yeah, great. What's the cost for the rule five pick? It's like fifty thousand dollars or hundred thousand. I think I think it's a hundred thousand to take, and then you return fifty if yep. uh, they can buy him back for fifty if he's not. So gonna... in terms of a functional baseball organization, literally nothing. Although the Mets have a track record of you know taking these guys to sell them back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or trade them for money. Yeah. Not good. Or, yep. Though, honestly, trading them for, like, if there's not someone you that fits your roster and you trade the pick for money, I don't hate it, but, like, whatever. That's one of those things that it's not even being used for anything functional to the team, so you're just making the, the owners richer and screw that. That's, that's true as well. If it's something for, like, I, I don't know if you can, but if you're trading, if you can trade the, the Rule 5 player then for, like, international slot bonus money that's or cap space, something like that, then, okay, I'm fine with, you know... At least it's serving some kind There's of a, yeah, a competitive baseball purpose. Yeah, yeah. I guess the money you're getting for any of these Rule 5 picks isn't enough to actually... Like, hey, you can only sign this reliever if you sell our Rule 5 pick for $200,000. I don't right. think anyone is having that conversation. No. <laughs> I would hope not. I mean, the Will Ponds, they might be. God, just five more years. And then mm-hmm. it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Probably. All right. Um, so the first dude that I looked at here is Sterling Sharp. He's a right-handed pitcher in the national system. He missed most of the season this year. Uh, he hurt his oblique in May. But he posted a 3.99 ERA in 49.2 innings with AA Harrisburg prior to that point. And, you know, the numbers, the peripherals were, were pretty good. Uh, 56 hits, 14 walks, 45 strikeouts. And then he made a couple of starts in the AFL, and the numbers were fair, but the reports were kind of so-so. And his stuff is kind of so-so to begin with, so that's a little worrisome. Uh, The biggest thing about him is that even on his best days, when when he's fully healthy and everything, the the fastball velocity is kind of fringy, tops out in like the low 90s. And reports in the AFL, he was more high 80s to 90, so that's less good. But the pitch has, like, a ton of sync to it. And for his entire career, he's posted elite ground ball rates, like 60% plus or so at every stop in the minors, practically. So it was like, 75 at a couple of, Oh, that's only in seven innings. In, okay. Yeah, small amounts. Yeah, yeah. But, that's I still mean, nuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, you, when you're getting that many sync uh, uh, ground balls, like, fastball velocity is kind of like, eh, whatever. And, you know, the, the fastball isn't completely a crap pitch uh he he he's pretty tall so he gets some extension on it and he's played around with his timing uh, with like hiccups and pauses in his delivery to mess around with the batter's timing so it plays up a little bit more than just pure velocity and then he complements it with a, a change up that's his best secondary and a slider and he does everything you know everything you want to see in a good change up he does it has good velocity deferential he doesn't slow his arm down it has solid fade and tumble Slider, it's kind of more sweepy, um, not really like a strikeout pitch right now, but 
it's just another weapon in the arsenal to keep guys honest and you know get some poor contact it's not overall like a super sexy package but he's a real heavy sinker ball guy in a, in a fly ball era he has good command he doesn't issue too many walks he might be a late bloomer and those secondary pitches might get better so you never know and he'd basically be like the instant fifth starter and just the overall package i think i have more faith in him to be a fifth starter than like walker lockett you know are you telling and me if, that walker lockett is bad yeah i i might be saying that hmm. shock big if true yeah and it's one of those things because he's a, a rule five draft guy like you know he he's bad in three or four starts then you just cut ties and that's the end of it and you don't need to worry Mm-hmm. Can we just call him Walter Lockett on this podcast from now on? It's so I always want to say Walter. <laughs> it's just weird the, to me because the first time I looked at it, I saw Walker Lockett and I was like, okay, Walker Lockett. And everybody starts saying Walter Lockett. And I just didn't get why. Because people are dumb, like, Steve. It's just like, did I miss something? I, I don't know what's happening. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a silly name. <laughs> it is. It is a silly name. Is it even his real name, or is it just, like, one of those nicknames that kind of has actually become, like, his actual name? I don't, I don't actually know. know. That's a good question. Wikipedia, his name is Andrew Walker Lockett. See? There you go. It's his middle name. Although, to oh, be geez. fair, if I had the... I, I would maybe go by Drew, but if I had Drew the Lockett. choice to go between Andrew and Walker, <laughs> Andy I might choose Lockett. to go with Walker. <laughs> Well, it's just not it's just not good. Yeah. All right. Um, Lucas, who do you have? Do you have someone that maybe uh, uses their actual name? Uh, I have I have someone with one of the more weird names in baseball, I think. But oh, great the, segue. Uh, uh, the one of the I don't even know how to pronounce it, honestly. LJ Lay. It's spelled literally L-J-A-Y Newsom. I'm just going to go with LJ for the, the per, uh, uh, purposes of this. Um, so Newsom was a, a pick in the 2015 draft uh, by the Mariners. Uh, and he's always been a guy with, with exceptional control. Like the highest walk rate he ever posted was 2.23 per nine. Uh, and at every other level, it's been below two. Most levels it's actually been below one. Uh, so the dude's just a, a, a finesse artist. Um and I think it's absolutely possible that he's the kind of pitcher like uh, uh, we've talked about what Miguel Montero's problems were, where he just pounds the strike zone and his stuff is good enough in the minors. And then he gets to the majors and guys just tee off and he starts nibbling and, and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's certainly possible. Um, but the underlying the, the stats in the minor leagues have been encouraging. Uh, his strikeouts ticked up in 2019. His fastball gained a couple miles per hour. Uh, the walk stayed low. He limited homers pretty well. Um, he's definitely a fly ball pitcher, which also lends to the to the risk that he's just going to get teed off on, especially with the major league ball. And he only made one start in AAA. Um, but similar to your argument about Sharp, I'm not sure that he's. Uh, 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 well, let me put it. I, I I'd be more willing to bet on him as a fifth starter or long man out of the pan, pen than Walker Lockett. Um, <laughs> So basically, the bar is, are you better than Walker Lockett? I mean, yeah, on the Mets roster, it's absolutely, <laughs> are you better than Walker Lockett and uh, Steven Gonzalez, or uh, Gonzalez, whatever. Um, I think Chris I, Massa I'm, is still around. 
Oh, right, because Chris Flexen just went to Korea and Maz is yep. still here. Uh, uh, I just yeah, want to say, uh, good for you, Chris Flexen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You do you, uh, bud. R.I.P. Sexy Flexy. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, I'm... Uh, like, I don't have strong feelings about him. I haven't watched any videos of him. The minor league stats are cool. The the extreme command profile is cool. There was a, a, a tangible improvement in the fastball last year. Bring him into camp. Give him a shot. See if he sticks. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of influence over all the pitchers, obviously. But anyone who's brought in, you know, with, with kind of flaws, like a Rule 5 guy, is the new... Uh, pitching coach Jeremy Hefner will have oh, I'm extremely interested to see Hefner's effect because mm-hmm. supposedly he's been been always been very bright in terms of bringing the analytical side of things into the game um and I think having a, a younger mm-hmm. former player making those communications will will translate better um and you could have found several articles going into this offseason talking him up as one of the better coaching candidates out there. So I'm I'm really interested to see what he does. Yeah, hopefully it's a pretty tangible impact that he has. <clears throat> All right, Ken, who is your next guy? <clears throat> I'm going to go with pretty much the exact opposite and go with <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Sheffield, uh, mm. right, from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, this is another sort of Homer pick. Um, I've, he was orig- um, early in 2016. He was one of the early guys the Mets were linked to, as they inevitably always are for seemingly polished college pitchers. Um, uh, that might move quickly, but they're already linked got... to that for the upcoming draft. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's the early the early returns always. Um, uh. But he was recently um, he was drafted as a starter out of Vanderbilt. And, um, you know, started for a few years, but really couldn't stay healthy. His command, his mechanics are very relievery. And then he was converted to a reliever last year by the Dodgers. And things went a lot better. He wasn't like elite by any means between um, advanced A and double A. But he struck a lot of dudes out. And um, it was 13.5 K per nine in advanced A and then 11.47 K per nine for the double uh, A team. Although his command, yeah, his command is super scattershot, and that's ultimately what's probably going to, you know, limit his, his ceiling a little bit. But he's got a fastball that is thought to be, you know, 95 to 97, touching 98, you know, consistently out of the pen. Um, gets a lot of swings and misses off of it, and a um, high-spin slider that also took a major step forward last year. So as a two-pitch reliever, again, you know, a spot that they could use. And the downside here is you have Jacob Rame 2.0, or, you know, and the upside is you get a potentially useful middle, middle reliever. I mean, that, given that the fact... Is real bad, yes, but... <laughs> I've always kind of liked the stuff a little bit and, you know, another year in the pen, maybe it stabilizes a little bit. And that's another thing that Jeremy Hefner's influence, you know, he's, he's a younger guy, like Lucas was saying, maybe he'll be able to, you know, how, how much older is Hefner than Sheffield? Like maybe 
Hefner's 15, like 30, 10, he's like, he's Hefner's like 33. 33. Yeah, so nine years. Yeah, so okay, so he's not even a decade older. Hefner could still be playing. Yeah. He could still be playing. I didn't realize he was that young. Jeez. So maybe Hefner will be able to, like, reach these kids, that kind of thing, you know? Um, so my next guy here is going to be... Michael Geddes, and he was drafted in the second round of the 2014 draft, and at the time, it felt like he was going to be a big deal, and he just hasn't been able to develop the necessary baseball skills to turn all those tools that he has into a big league player. He spent all of last year with the El Paso Chihuahuas, that is the Padres AAA affiliate, and he hit 256, 305, 517 in 128 games slugging percentage looks great but taken into account that's the pcl so even though he was slugging over 500 it is actually um a wrc plus of 88 which is slightly below average so that just goes to show how crazy the pcl is but you know since day one when he was drafted the swing is very concerning and nothing has really changed and his pitch recognition skills were kind of poor Bad swing mechanics, they all, you know, they both have held him back, you know, his entire career. But if for years, it's felt like he's just kind of like a tweak or two away from being a monster at the plate. And with his physicality and his bat speed and everything, you know, maybe, maybe this is the year that he breaks out. But, you know, nothing has changed and that's been the case for years. So who knows? But as an everyday player, I think he would kind of sink fast, kind of like Keon Broxton last year. But if you're using Spangley as a backup, I think there's a lot of qualities that could be useful. Um, you know, defensively, he's he's kind of rangy. He's a real strong arm. Not the best fielder out there, but he's played a capable center field for a majority of his career. So, you know, nothing wrong with that. On the base paths, he's speedy. Could be like a 20 stolen base guy if he got enough opportunities. And if you use him as like a, a pinch run, pitch runner situations, you know, he could possibly... Uh, accumulate that many opportunities the raw powers plus you know just the, the hit tools plus uh, excuse me is, is poor so maybe every once in a while he runs into a, a homer or two and it would be interesting to see if chili davis helps him because chili davis's philosophy is pretty much the exact kind of opposite of what you would think a guy who has plenty of power would be doing and that kind of does seem like one of the flaws in Gettys's game is just kind of you know his situational hitting and making contact and that kind of stuff and that is the stuff that Chili Davis supposedly excels at so maybe his his presence is is the thing that helps Gettys turn that corner but who knows it's good it's good I mean we had a uh, similar. We used to have a similar conversation when Dan Worthen was the coach about grabbing players to fit your coaching staff, right? Like if you have Dan Worthen, you should get a guy. You should get guys with polish, but lacking an out pitch, and teach them the Worthen slider. Maybe if you have Chili Davis on staff, you need to grab people with power, but who can hit, and get Chili Davis to teach them how to make contact. That said, I don't know that that actually works. Yeah, I don't know either, but. <laughs> He's a guy that I've always, I've always liked, but, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, look, they have the Mets. After him. The Mets need, a, they have a spot on the bench, right? Like, it's going to be, 
Uh, let's assume that that uh, uh, McNeil and Davis are starting. You have Lowry on the bench. You have a backup catcher. You have Marisnik. You have Guillaume, and there's still one spot there. Um, so I mean, they need something. It's it's better than just a, a light light hitting shortstop. Mike Moroff, who they're apparently <laughs> very high on. Yes. Not good. Be high on Mike Moroff. I don't understand. I don't understand. They don't understand either. <laughs> That's the problem, I think. <laughs> it's not great. No. All right, let's take another break here. And when we get back, we'll go over uh, three more guys that we each like. So we will be right back after this. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I'm Steve Seipel, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin. And we're just going over. We'll, we'll go over our final uh, Rule 5 draft hopefuls here. So, Lucas, who do you got? So, the last guy I was looking at is uh, Eli White. Um, so he is a super utility guy for the Rangers. He was actually part of uh, 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 the uh, Jerickson Profar trade last off, the one last off season when the A's got him from uh, the Rangers in the first place. Uh, so White's 25 years old, limited upside, uh, and had a bad a down year offensively last year. So he was running a, a weighted runs created in the 130s in Double A, and then slipped all the way down to 84 in Triple A last year. Uh, that said, he still hit 14 homers, he stole 14 bases, he walked a decent amount. Uh, the strikeouts were way up, and there was a, a, a definite Babbitt progression. But th- there's some intrigue to him as a guy who's excuse me, not going to not gonna hit for a ton of average, but has some pop, has some speed, and has seen time at second, third, short, and center field, and looked competent at all of those spots over the last two seasons. Um, in many ways, he's kind of fits the same role that Marisnik does, but with more flexibility and cheaper, right? So Marisnik is obviously the better player, better on defense, probably a better hitter, uh, 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 not even probably, is a better hitter. But White has a nice blend of filling several different spots on the diamond competently, which is useful with that last roster spot, providing some speed, which is something the roster is lacking. Um, so in terms of gambles to, to take on, on the last spot on the bench, I think White's pretty interesting. Um, and the Rangers left him unprotected. Yeah, the, the, the versatility is an interesting aspect, especially when you take into account that the Mets have a lot of guys that they're not necessarily playing out of position, but they're playing them in, in positions where defensively they're not particularly great at. Mm-hmm. So it gives more, um, gives the team more of a chance to kind of swap guys in, swap guys around mm-hmm. at, at, at all, all different positions. Like, look, he's not going to be as good defensively as Guillaume, obviously, but if he's an average defender and can hit better with than Louis Guillaume, which is a pretty low bar. Uh, it's a it's a useful piece to have on the bench. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like a guy needs to start nine innings. If you're swapping him in for a pinch hit mm-hmm. appearance and then, you know, an inning, like, it's probably not going to cause a terrible chain reaction. Yep. And it'd be nice. Uh, uh, this is something else I've been wondering about with the extra roster spot. If the return, if, if pinch running becomes more popular again, because mm-hmm. uh, you have a five-man bench, and the Mets don't really have anyone to do that right now. They have Marisnik, I guess. But having two guys who could steal on the bench would, would be an advantage, hopefully. Yeah. Lord knows you're not putting uh, uh, Thomas Nito on base to steal. No, probably not. All right, Ken, who is your final pick? Um, a player of a similar mold in Buddy Reed, um, outfielder from the San Diego Padres um, organization. Uh, the report on Reed is pretty simple. He um, is as le- as athletic a player as you'll ever see. Um, extremely fast, very good defender, but has never really hit all that well. So uh, my basically, he was drafted in 2016, was a college teammate of Pete Alonzo's, which is more or less the entire reason why I chose him. Um, <clears throat> like I said, struggled to hit up until... Um, advanced day and then struggled his first take in his first taste in double a and then repeated double a this last year and was like a roughly eagle roughly league average hitter um but ultimately it comes down to i don't think he's that different from jake marisnik or keon broxton or kevin pilar in that he's a guy who has a pretty easily leverageable skill set um, for a bench roll. So that's, uh, you know, as a speed and defense bench player that you're hoping to get as much value out of that and limit his exposure offensively as much as possible. Yet another reason why trading for Maris Nick so early in the offseason was just a yeah. puzzling move. These guys are everywhere. Yep. We've, we've been talking for, what, an hour and... We've mentioned like six of them (laughs) (laughs) who are more or less interchangeable. All right. uh, My final guy is going to be, if Michael Geddes was a big Hail Mary, then the guy that I'm about to pick here is an even bigger one in terms of him riding the ship. And that is Alec Hansen. Um, He's another guy that, he was drafted in the second round of his draft, um, him in, in 2016, and it feels like he's been around forever and just hasn't been able to put everything together. Uh, he pitched last season with high A Winston-Salem and double A Birmingham, which is the White Sox's affiliates. And he posted a combined 464 ERA in 52.1 innings in his first year as a dedicated reliever. And he walked, uh, excuse me, he struck out 44 and he walked 44. And he struck out 66. And the numbers are crappy. And he has a little bit of a uh, injury history. But Hans is not really that far off from being considered one of the better prospects in baseball. Uh, going into the 2018 season, so two years ago now, Baseball America ranked him 57. MLB Prospect Pipeline ranked him 54. Baseball Prospectus ranked him 40. So there is a lot of upside in there. He hurt his forearm and he missed the first couple of seasons of the 2018, excuse me, he missed the first couple of months of the 2018 season. And then when he did get back on the field, things kind of spiraled out of control. He wasn't physically 100%. 
and he started experiencing depression and anxiety. And you know, it is something is massively wrong when the guy that can throw like 97 was throwing like 87 in like the second inning. Um, but his control, it was never that great, even when he was at his best, just kind of completely evaporated. He'd be like walking like five, six, seven, nine guys in a couple of innings of work. Um, he was a little better this past year at the bullpen, but it was still pretty unpredictable. There'd be stretches where he'd walk like, you know, two, three guys in a couple of appearances, which is not great, but it's not too bad either. And then there would be games where he'd walk like three, four guys. So still don't really know what you're going to be getting. But if you just ignore the numbers and you just look at the tools, there's a lot to like. When he's on, he's got four pitches that grade out as fringe average to above average. Fastball sits 90 to 95. It could top out at like 97. Get some plane because he's a tall guy. Has a little bit of cutting movement. Curveball, he could throw, you know, sharp 12-6-1 or uh, an 11-5-1 with two-plane movement. And he could throw off for strikes. He could bury outside the zone wherever he wants to put it. Sounds like Change he's putting up. it outside the zone too often. Yeah, a little too often. Uh <laughs> Change up. It has some good fade and tumble. He throws it out of the same slot as the fastball. Uh, it gets about 10 miles per hour of velocity separation. Slider was never his best pitch, but it was, you know, good enough to be incorporated into his arsenal and, and you know, set up his other stuff because it's in the mind of hitters. But when he was not on, you know, he could be pretty bad. And, you know, is he a guy like like Michael Geddes? Is, is is he a guy that maybe the Mets will have a better chance at fixing than a couple of other teams have had? Because you know, White Sox have not been able to uh, unlock the potential in there. I do I do wonder about did, how much success did the White Sox have with fixing like Michael Kopech, for instance, right? Because he had the this like that same horrible level of control problem as well. Um, of course, he's hurt now, but I don't, I don't know that the White Sox are exactly the best developmental organization. So I could absolutely buy that maybe in a, on a different team he does better. Um, but he might also need so much time to to improve that you can't hide him. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy. And, and then if you are hiding him and pitching him, say, once once a week, whatever How's the case may better? be, like, yeah, you're not really helping your own situation. But it's definitely um, a lot of upside if you just kind of ignore all the negatives. Yeah, I mean, the the part, the, the underlying components for a good pitcher are there. You just got to mm-hmm. do a lot of work to get to them. Yep. All right. Well, uh, does anyone have any last words for the week? Uh, please, no one take Harold. I'll be sad if they, someone takes Harold. Yeah, there's a couple of guys in the system that theoretically could be taken in the Rule 5 draft. Um, I can see like the them? Orioles taking Newton. Yeah, there, there's Harold, there's Shervillian Newton, there's Patrick Mazeka. I don't really foresee anyone taking them, but, you know, who knows? Obviously, depending on what the Mets do, what other teams do, we'll go over that stuff uh, next week. But if anyone has any questions or comments or whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex2queens at gmail.com. 
You can follow us on Twitter and shoot questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. And Ken is at Ken1191. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to our podcast. You'll get our show and all of the Amazing Avenue uh, productions. Rate and review. And, of course, thank you for listening. And, like I said, we'll be back next week with a recap of the Rule 5 draft and how the Mets did and how everybody else did. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Love the Mets.